Good evening, Dr. Dan Guerra here from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the in the Pacific Northwest. Today is the 22nd of December, 2021. That's right. We're really moving close to Christmas now. Now, you know that we're talking about this molecular target, this particular regulator called AMP kinase. I'm going to continue with that because I want to make sure that we get a full understanding of how this particular protein really interrelates anabolism and catabolism and almost all cell types in the human body. And this interrelationship, as we went over last time, has a lot to do with the neuroendocrine system. I promise you it has a lot else to do with the immune system. We haven't gotten to that stage yet. So today I'm going to really try to do a synthesis of where we are right now. And then when we finish today's lecture, I'm really hoping there's only one more, and that will be how amkinase is involved in the immune system. So if that's possible, um, then that is exactly what I'm going to get uh, accomplished by the 23rd of December. And probably on Christmas Eve, I won't be doing any lectures. So hopefully we can have amkinase already in the can by then. So let's get just get going where we are right now. Now, you know that amkinase senses nutritional and hormonal stimuli. We just went over that. Particularly the activity of the hypothalamic AM kinase is mediated by a specific regulation of a CNS, that's the sympathetic, and the parasympathetic nervous systems. The fact, in fact indeed, that the inhibition of hypothalamic AM kinase, this is done in animal models, of course, leads to anorexia and increased thermogenesis, that would be brown fat, and therefore an elevation of energy expenditure, uh, could probably make it an interesting target for pharmaceutical de development. That's because it has potential for controlling both sides of what we call the energy balance equation. So we have to keep that in mind. We're talking about body weight. We're talking about the activity of the liver and the adipose tissue, as well as the neuroendocrine regulation of the appetitive phase as regulated by adipokines like leptin. And then muscle metabolism we talked about. And we spent a fair amount of time just really getting into the various subnuclei in the central nervous system. So that's real brief capping of what we just did yesterday, but let's move on. I want to remind you that leptin treatment elicits a very rapid and substantial plasticity of the synaptic inputs in that NPY, AGRP, as well as the POMC and the CART neurons. And there's pretty much an opposition between those two different classes of neurons. <clears throat> now, what they do, those sets of neurons, is, of course, they regulate and modulate food intake. And it's that's actually conducted. We didn't go over this too much last time. But it's conducted via axonal projections into various other brain regions. And that includes the parabrachial nucleus, which indeed conveys the CTD signals and indeed nausea. And we, are, we did cover the paraventricular nucleus of the hypothalamus. Now, when active, the AGRP neurons convey a negative valence, that is the unpleasant sensation of hunger, 
thereby augmenting the drive to eat, okay? So that that is the effect of AGRP that's been demonstrated. Now, ingestion of food alleviates that negative sensation. It does so by suppressing the activity of the NPY AGRP neuronal locus. So leptin, as you remember, also modulates various other components of the reward pathway at the same time, diminishing food intake. So you get the idea of the, the multiple levels of uh, valence that are afforded just by that one adipokine. Now, remember that you have these various subunits of the AMP kinase, and they can be variously modified via phosphorylation. There is the canonical 3-anine-172 phosphorylation. Removal of that phosphate by a PP2C-alpha, which is a phosphatase, will block the activation of AMP kinase. Remember that, that is, the whole aspect of it is turned on via the hypothalamus and indeed the hindbrain by regulating the calcium calmodulin kinase kinase beta, the LKB, and also then that negative phosphatase. Now, here's an interesting thing. In obese people, leptin resistance actually destroys the AGRP and NPY axis over appetite because these hypothalamic hormones would be shut down normally in leptin-sensitive non-pathogenic state. Remember, because those are going to be inducing the, the orexogenic response. So that's curious, right? So leptin plus insulin resistance, which you get with type 2 diabetes, would thus allow for a chronic feeding appetitive status. Plus, remember, you're still going to have an active AMP kinase. And the AMP kinase is going to be continually functioning to generate ATP-producing processes like beta-oxidation of fatty acids, but at the same time enhancing energy production via food intake. And AMP kinase will be blocking ATP-consuming processes, such as anabolism. Uh, and this is going to be at the cellular and at the whole body level. Okay. So again, you see how this is a very important axis of control. So again, activation of AMP kinase increases appetite. And AMP kinase is expressed in the arcuate, dorsomedial, paraventricular, and ventromedial nuclei of the hypothalamus, uh, including the lateral hypothalamic area, which we also mentioned. Now, <clears throat> an easier way to understand this and remember it is hypothalamic AMP kinase is just a part of the adaptive change in the physiological regulation of feeding as afforded by the adipokine leptin generated by the aggregate accumulation of adipose. Now, a sequelae to that that makes perfect canonical logical sense, fasting increases, but refeeding inhibits AMP kinase activity in that hypothalamic region. All those different subnuclei I just mentioned to you. So 
Remember, amp kinase is activated by that LKB1, which can be uh, localized, of course, in the central nervous system. It was first described in the liver, so that's the liver kinase B1. And, of course, you know that kinase, uh, the so-called calcium calmodulin-dependent protein kinase, kinase 2, beta. And both of those kinases of phosphorylate one unique amino acid, that's threonine-172 of the alpha subunit of the AMP kinase, right? Remember, that's a heterotrimer. And it's inactivated through dephosphorylation of that site, we just mentioned, by the protein phosphatases that we've already described, plus more. All of this is in a response to changes in cellular AMP to ADP to ATP ratios. And so the downstream effectors activated by AMP kinase are going to include the following. So let's think about this for a moment. When you get glucose deprivation, you're going to turn on fructose 1,6-bisphosphate. You're going to turn on aldolase. Aldolase will activate LKB1. Calcium will be released from internal stores. That will fire up calcium calmodulin kinase kinase. And the ratio of AMP, of course, at this stage is increasing over the level of ADP, okay? Now, when that happens, right, when that occurs, you're going to have threonine-172-phosphorylated. When threonine-172-phosphorylated on that alpha subunit of that alpha-beta-gamma or any other possible um, domain switching for the AMP kinase, What's going to happen to some of the enzymes in the pathways? Well, that phosphorylated AMP kinase is going to trigger phosphofructokinase, which will turn on glycolysis. It will phosphorylate ULK1, which will generate autophagy. Huge change in cell fate, right? AMP kinase will also phosphorylate P53, and that will cause apoptosis. Uh, so an arresting of the cell cycle, which also makes sense during starvation mode. Um, AMP kinase also has a tremendous role on the uh, PGC1 pathway. That's the peroxisome proliferator GC1 complex we talked about last time. And what that is responsible for is mitochondrial biogenesis. Now, at the same time that phosphorylated AMP kinase is going to block HMG-CoA reductase, rate-limiting step for cholesterologenesis. It's going to block acetylcocarboxylase, rate-limiting step for lipogenesis. It's going to block the mTORC1, which is going to be anabolism written large, but particularly protein synthesis. And it's also going to block glucose uptake. Okay, so the GLUT pathway will also be negatively impacted by the phosphorylated AMP kinase, right? And that whole level of regulation is repealed when protein phosphatase removes that phosphate okay and the only way the protein uh, the only way that this gets rephosphorylated again is when you start to lose that ratio of uh, AMP to ADP to ATP when that ratio starts going in the positive direction with AMP in the numerator that means you're going to trigger again that phosphorylation cascade. So I think that makes it pretty clear. Now, <clears throat> keep in mind this whole thing we're talking about type 2 diabetes. There was a study conducted way back in 2012, published in a journal called Amino Acid, 
which wanted to understand the signaling mechanisms leading to GLUT4, remember that's glucoseptate, translocation, and indeed increased skeletal muscle glucoseptate via GLUT4 that followed a creatine supplementation in type 2 diabetics. Okay. This is a, uh, a study done in humans. Now, AMP kinase alpha protein content presented to be have a tendency to be higher, okay, after creatine supplementation. And the changes in AMP kinase alpha protein content significantly related with a p-value down to 0.001 to the changes in GLUT4 translocation. Also in the uh, also regulating the levels of glycosylated hemoglobin, all suggesting that AMP kinase signaling is very likely implicated in the effects of supplementation on glucose uptake in type 2 diabetics. Okay. Once again, remember what we're talking about here. The phosphorylation of that alpha subunit is gonna is gonna tank mTORC1, it's gonna tank lipogenesis, it's gonna tank glycogenolysis, and it's going to tank protein synthesis. At the same time, glucose uptake glycolysis is turned up, fatty acid oxidation, and autophagy, okay. with AMP acting as the allosteric activator. And you just learn once again what creatine does in that system. Now, obviously, AMP kinase is activated by binding to that particular nucleotide, that's 5' AMP, with activation occurring not on one, but not via one, excuse me, but via three unique mechanisms, which are interrelated. One is the, of course, the allosteric activation of the kinase, which is already phosphorylated hierarchically at 3NE172. The actual enhancement of 3NE172 phosphorylation by the LKB complex. And finally, a protection against dephosphorylation by protein phosphatases. So all three of those effects are due to the binding of AMP to the kinase and not to upstream kinase or phosphatase activities since stricto. And thus, this tripartite mechanism ensures that the system responds to what? Very small incremental changes in AMP. So it makes it very sensitive to the AMP to ADP to ATP stoichiometric ratios. Now, although there's a lot of agreement that only AMP binding will actually involve the allosteric activation, that would be effect one, ADP binding will also trigger the other two categorical changes. One is the enhanced 3D172-phosphorylation, that be one, and the other is the protection of that phosphorylation from the phosphatases. So ADP will also do that, right? Which makes some sense as well. Once again, it's a an amplitude modulation regulating the different levels of the tri and monophosphorylated adenosyl phosphates, right? And so that's a really important thing to keep in mind, really tight control over this at multiple levels. So all the activating effects of AMP and indeed ADP are like all enzymes controlled this way, antagonized directly by binding to ATP. So high levels of ATP will erase the AMP regulation, you understand? And 
whatever can be afforded by ADP. So the AMP counting system effectively monitors the AMP to ATP and the ADP to ATP ratios simultaneously by co covering both of those axes. Now, AMP kinase phosphorylates, here's what some of the things AMP kinase does. Specifically, again, phosphorylates downstream targets containing well-defined uh, sequence recognition motifs. And the number of enzymes that are probably regulated by AMP kinase are almost as many as mTOR. Remember mTOR, we said 80, 90, maybe even 100 proteins are controlled by mTOR phosphorylation during anabolism. AMP kinase, the catabolic super regulator of metabolism, might have well over 60 that are phosphorylated. This is from a 2020 paper, so this is relatively recent data. We know that AMP kinase phosphorylates and activates proteins involved in many catabolic pathways that I've been mentioning to you. And because of that, it basically does what? It supports ATP synthesis. But at the same AMP kinase phosphorylates, we just went over this, right? But now I'm telling you specifically, it phosphorylates and inactivates anabolic or biosynthetic pathways. And that means inhibits cell growth while conserving ATP. So AMP kinase, because of that connection, will cause cell cycle arrest in G1. All right. Although in that case, the direct downstream targets responsible for the effect probably haven't been completely worked out. Right? Although you might, as you might assume, they're going to be cell cycle dependent kinases. Somewhere are going to be involved CDKs. So <clears throat> catabolism, many cell types that would have been described, AMP activation increases glucose uptake via the effects of trafficking of the glucose transporters. Of course, the two major ones are GLUT1 and GLUT4, depending on if your skeletal muscle or another uh, insulin-dependent GLUT uh, pathways. And it's achieved in part by phosphorylation of a consequent degradation of another protein. Of course, this protein is called TXNIP. TXNIP is actually a member of a larger family of, no, of uh, proteins called alpha-arrestins. And that family of proteins normally promotes reuptake of GLUT1 and GLUT4 from the plasma membrane back via the endocytic pathway, therefore inhibiting or shutting down induced nascent glucose uptake by those two transporters. Now, in the case of GLUT4, AMP kinase also phosphorylates this tuberosis or TBC1D1 protein and that's a GTPase-activating protein, so it's a GAP protein. And GAP proteins are members of the RAB family. We talked about RAB proteins, of course, in oncogenesis. Now, all of that, that AMP kinase phosphorylation of that TBC1D1 causes a dissociation of that TBC1D1 from intracellular GLUT4 storage vesicles, or GSVs. You remember those? And that causes a consequent conversion of the RABs to their GTP-bound form, thus promoting the GSVs to the plasma membrane. That's how that works, okay? Kind of like a molecular motor operation. Amkinase also can phosphorylate and activate, no surprise, phosphofructokinase 2. That's the enzyme, remember, that generates the allosteric effector for phosphofructokinase 1. The allosteric effector, of course, is fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, right? the non-glycolytic intermediate. 
We know that's a very potent allosteric effector of that PFK1. Now, the, this effect is, however, very cell dependent because it's only the PFK B2 or B3 isoforms of PFK1. Now, this has to do with the regulation of the muscle versus the liver that we talked about a while back, which I'm not going to get into because that's a good five-minute conversation. But remember that from classical canonical control over glycolysis, gluconeogenesis, the TCA cycle, and indeed lipogenesis and beta-oxidation of fatty acids, all within that one axis of control because of the Pasteur effect, remember. Now, AMP kinase, as I've just now revealed and I've already mentioned to you, also acutely promotes fatty acid oxidation. And it does it in a very interesting way. It actually inactivates the mitochondrial isoform sitting there on the membrane of the mitochondria of acetylcarboxylase. That's called acetylcarboxylase isoform 2, remember ACC2. And when it does that, it reduces the local pool of MAL-CoA, which is an inhibitor of the uptake of fatty acids via the carnitine pathway in, from the CoA ester to the carnitine ester into the mitochondria. And of course, that means regulating indirectly carnitine palmitoyl CoA transferase 1. It's all being done by phosphorylating ACC2, tanking the levels of MAL-CoA which is normally an inhibitor of fatty acid uptake. Now you remove that inhibition and you get fatty acid uptake. See how that works? It's just, it's a very, very um, beautiful way to regulate this entire system without necessarily getting involved in modifying any of the other levels of regulation we know occur for beta oxidation and, for example, lipogenesis on the other side, right? So <clears throat> AMP kinase promotes oxidative metabolism. And that's typical of quiescent cells, as we've talked about with T lymphocytes, right? So it promotes oxidative metabolism typical of quiescent cells rather than the non-oxidative or non-oxygen dependent rapid activation from rapid glucose uptake and just glycolysis. That's typical of cells undergoing proliferation, that is cell division including, of course, tumor cells. Now, you can see why AMP kinase is of interest to oncogenics. Now, AMP kinase promotes mitochondrial biogenesis. I told you that via the PGC1-alpha and also via the expression of oxidative enzymes by a direct phosphorylation or deacetylation via sirtuin activation. Remember that, of that transcriptional coactivator I just mentioned again, PGC1-alpha. So AMP kinase maintains the cellular content of functional, healthy mitochondria. It does so by promoting some limit mitophagy, that's the turnover of aging mitochondria. And it's done so via the phosphorylation of that elk protein I've talked about. That's the autophagy kinase, that's ULK1 or UNC51-like kinase 1. Not very helpful there, the name of that, in terms of describing what it does, but to describe what it does, it controls autophagy. Now, the other thing AMP kinase does via that ELK1 is controls mitochondrial fission, perhaps via the phosphorylation of other proteins involved in mitochondrial fission, including one called 
this is, is well named the mitochondrial fission factor or MFF. Mm -hmm. Don't joke, don't get a smile on your face. Now, there's one other protein that's also being regulated this way, controlling mitophagy, limit mitophagy, and that's the protein called MTFR1L. That is known as the mitochondrial fission regulator one like. Now, I'm telling you all of this because you're going to find this in the literature if you go looking for it. Now, since mitochondria can exist in cells either as elongating branching networks intercalating within the ER and even the ER in association with the peroxisomes, the branching of networks that you see in those mitochondria can be lengths close to that of the cell diameter. So mitochondria can become quite fenestrated. And the mitochondrial fission that's accompanied by this may be necessary to break down those networks into smaller mitochondrial segments suitable for what? For mitophagy, that is removal of older mitochondria and of course, at the same time, through the PGC1 alpha, you're generating new mitochondria. Why would that happen? The turnover of that very important organelle, because aging mitochondria lose some of their capacity to express the proteins in the electron transport chain, some of which are from the mitochondrial genome, remember? Yeah. Okay. So that's a very important issue there to, to keep in mind. So when you have this mitophagy going on, that allows you to study various knockouts done in mouse. And they've done this in muscle-specific double knockouts of AMP kinase, either the alpha-1, alpha-2, or the beta-1, beta-2 types. Again, knockout in mice. And those included, the, the phenotype that they picked up doing that is exercise intolerance, with another appearance of mitochondria of abnormal size and morphology. No surprise, because the mitochondria then cannot be turned over, right? So amkinase acutely switches off most of those anabolic path pathways via phosphorylating and activating, again, that acetyl-CoA carboxylase. It's really important. But also HMG-CoA reductase, that's the cholesterologenesis uh, rate-limiting step. And, and where phosphorylation of ACC1, which is also phosphorylated kinase, is at serine 80 in humans, you can actually use that to monitor via phospho-specific antibodies amp kinase activation in intact cells. That, that gets a biomarker. Now, you can knock in, this is all done in mice, obviously, and change serine into alanine, unless you're going to lose your phosphorylation site. And when you do a knock-in serine to alanine mutation of the AMP kinase on either ACC1, ACC2, or HMG-CoA reductase, you obtain elevated levels of what you might guess, the products of de novo lipogenesis, triacylglycerol increases, and so does cholesterol. That demonstrates that those phosphorylation sites have an, have an absolute regulatory um, phenotype. So AMP kinase also switches off glycogen synthesis via the phosphorylation of glycogen synthases 1 and 2. Also nucleotide synthesis via the phosphorylation of the PRPS 1 and 2 isoforms of that enzyme phosphoribosyl pyrophosphate synthetases 1 and 2, but also ribosomal RNA synthesis via the phosphorylation of TIF1-alpha RRN3, remember that is going to be the RNA polymerase involved in ribosomal RNA synthesis, 
all of which will be controlling the transcription two of RNA polymerase one, the enzyme which is global for transcription of all um, transcripts, right? So finally, AMP kinase, which is off the elongation step of protein synthesis, we've got into this before, in part via the phosphorylation of elongation factor two kinase and a somewhat atypical calcium-dependent protein kinase that erstwhile phosphorylates elongation factor two as well. That causes a pause in polypeptide elongation. Other effects of protein synthesis are mainly been described in the mTORC1, and that's where I'm going to leave you for today. Now, well, mTORC has a very long story, as you know, because we've talked about it multiple times in I think biochemistry. And I'm debating whether or not to do the AMP kinase mTORC interaction uh, while I'm talking about AMP kinase or Maybe I will bracket that off and we'll talk about it when we do mTOR because you, you, you better believe that's going to be one of the master regulators we're going to cover in these short suite of um, uh, episodic discussions of those kind of regulators with the AMP kinase now, just about at the finish line. We're going to do one more AMP kinase, I promised you, which is going to be involved in where, where AMP kinase is involved in the immune response. Um, and when we get done with that, we'll, be, we'll leave AMP kinase and we'll move on to the next one. So just about out of time, this is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Pacific Northwest on the 22nd of December, 2021. And I'm saying I do this because I have nothing better to do, which means it's a great thing to do. And I always finish off when I don't run too late by saying bye for now.